Hi, and welcome to the back-to-school edition of the Law Notes episode of the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. We have a lot to cover, and Art has been working frantically to keep us up to date on the latest. We are going to hit the top stories for you, the first of which is a huge win and a first-of-its-kind victory for transgender health care. The Ninth Circuit affirmed an injunction ordering gender confirmation surgery for an Idaho transgender inmate. Second, we're going to talk about a second round of filings in the blockbuster LGBT employment discrimination cases at the Supreme Court. We will have the latest for you as we prepare for October 8th. And then third, a divided Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals revived a videographer's claim that the business doesn't need to provide equal wedding-related services to same-sex couples. With us is New York Law School professor Art Leonard, chief editor and writer of Legal's LGBT Law Notes, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest LGBT legal developments here and abroad. Hi, Art. How you doing? Okay. Yeah? How was your summer? Too short. Yeah. That's what I, I always tell my students. It was too short. Yeah. And they agree. The summer is too short. It is too short. And, and, and you know, we did something for the first time this year. What's we that? published an August issue of Law Notes. Ooh. In the past, we've always done a combined summer issue that came out around the third week in July. It was a treatise. Yeah, but they, well, it wasn't so much that one. It was the September issue. Usually was a killer. Right. I mean, we, we were going 70 or 80 pages. Oh, my God. And so I decided we got to bite the bullet and do an August issue. But um, the September issue was turning into a monster anyway. Did you write the August issue by the pool? Uh, no. <laughs> Um, how's, how are your classes? The kids are smarter than ever? The kids are doing great. I, I have <laughs> Students, I should say. two sections of contracts. Well, I'm old enough to think of them as kids. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to be their grandfather in most oh, cases yeah, now. yeah, um, Two sections of contracts, what two else sections you got? Of, that's it for the semester. Okay. But there are f- about 55 in each section. Whoa. So I'll have plenty of exams to grade this semester. All right. Well, let's dig right into the cases because we've got a lot to talk about. First up, we have a truly wonderful and absolutely massive opinion to discuss that came down from the Ninth Circuit on August 24th in Edmo v. Idaho Department of Corrections. This is a trans healthcare case where um, the LGBT Bar of New York actually served as an amicus, um, and it's a groundbreaking decision. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that denying gender confirmation surgery to transgender prisoners can violate their rights under the Eighth Amendment. Art, tell us about this massive win and why it's important. Yeah, well, one thing one thing we should emphasize is that the court took great care to emphasize this, that this involved a particular set of facts, a particular inmate. They were not saying that every transgender inmate is entitled under the Eighth Amendment to gender confirmation surgery. Okay. Uh, because the standard under the Eighth Amendment is that someone has a serious medical condition mm-hmm. and that a particular procedure is medically necessary right. uh, to deal with their condition. And they found that was the case here. Uh, the trial judge, uh, B. Lynn Windmill of the U.S. District Court in Idaho, uh, did a really spectacular job in this case. Uh, he appointed counsel, and uh, I read a lot of these cases. I send them on to Bill Rold, who writes them up for law notes, but I'm al- always harvesting them off Westlaw and Lexus for him. So these I cases meaning criminal cases. Trans, yeah. Well, not to, pri- transgender prison cases, because right. if, if you look at our uh, criminal litigation notes in law note and the stories, the byline stories by Bill, we have so many 
there is an incredible amount of litigation going on, and a lot of it is about access to appropriate health care in prison. Under the Eighth Amendment, the prison is supposed to provide adequate health care for prisoners because they don't have a right to just go to a doctor's appointment or something. They are totally dependent on the prison system. And traditionally, prison systems have been extremely reluctant to provide transitional care for transgender inmates. So uh, providing uh, a qualified professional to do the diagnosis is sometimes a battle. Uh, Then if they are diagnosed with gender dysphoria, uh, traditionally, prisons were very reluctant to start people on hormone therapy, mm-hmm. and that's been litigated all over the place. And now there is at least a somewhat of a consensus in the federal courts that it violates the Eighth Amendment to deny uh, hormone therapy if a qualified medical practitioner diagnoses the prisoner with sufficiently severe gender dysphoria okay. that hormone therapy is necessary. And then the last step is confirmation surgery to uh, confirm their body, conform their body to the gender with which they identify. And this is the step the prisons have been fighting tooth and nail. And we only have a handful of court appeals decisions, and this is the first court of appeals decision. Well, it's, it's really the second, but the first from the First Circuit was reversed on bank. So we'll see what happens with this one. Okay. Uh, you know, are they going to petition for on bank here? Because this is a three-judge panel. It's mm-hmm. a panel made up entirely of uh, Clinton appointees to the Ninth Circuit. And Trump has appointed a lot of people to the Ninth Circuit. I think he's got like seven judges now that he's appointed. Wow. I mean, it's a huge court, yeah. so seven is but not it's about a quarter. Of, it's about a quarter of the active <clears throat> judges. In this case, the Idaho prison system was denying that they had a per se rule against providing gender confirmation surgery. They said, we will provide it in an appropriate case. But then they engaged in what uh, the district judge found was a misreading of uh, the World Professional Association on Transgender Health, WPATH, Mm -hmm. which publishes the standards of care that are widely accepted through the medical community as a consensus statement of how to deal with gender dysphoria. And one of the things they say is before you do gender confirmation surgery, the person has to have experienced living in their desired gender. And so they're taking hormones, they're dressing and grooming in their gender with which they identify, but we're not going to do the surgery until they've had a real-life experience of living in that gender for a year. All right, so the doctor in Idaho for the prison took the position that it is impossible to simulate the real-life experience in prison. That, that it, sounds it, like it, an absolute bar to that me. That sounds like, an, and, and the judge found that the uh, the court of appeal said, "Well, we don't have to uh, address that issue because we find that that's not what the WPS standards say. Mm-hmm. The WPS standards do say that they they do apply to institutionalized people. In any event, in this case, they turned uh, Adri Emo Edmo down for the gender confirmation surgery, and the district judge uh, said, "Look." The experts that the state put on the trial, they're not credible. Okay. They're outliers. They're, they're not in the mainstream of the medical profession on this. And in terms of what's medically necessary, uh, the Supreme Court has said it doesn't violate the Eighth Amendment to deny an inmate the procedures they want when there is a range of medical opinion as to what appropriate procedures are. And this is just a difference of opinion between the inmate and the prison doctors. But if there is a consensus out there as to appropriate treatment in a case 
where someone has severe gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. then uh, we think, you know, you don't go with the outliers. You don't say that this is just a difference of opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, and in this case, part of the evidence of how severe the gender dysphoria was, as this inmate is struggling and struggling with the situation and constantly being frustrated and they're turning her down and appeals are taking forever, so she decides to do the operation herself. You know, so uh, the, the district judge said, no, this is for real. The real experts who testify for the plaintiff include someone who is a co-author of the WPATH standards. Okay. You know, yeah. you had two highly qualified uh, experts there. And on the other side, they had a, a psychiatrist and a social worker or something like that, people who weren't even really qualified. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the big question in this case now, we have a uh, unanimous per curiam opinion by the panel, and Bill Rold in his article for one note speculates that that means that all three judges' chambers participated in drafting this, which is not surprising. It's a very extensive opinion, and anyone who would like to read a well-written textbook for the layperson about transgender issues could read this opinion with profit. Mm, wow. It really lays it all out. Yeah. It's, it's just beautifully done. Uh, I think that, you know, maybe we should think about the next issue of my casebook <laughs> incorporating this opinion <laughs> because it's, it would be a great teaching tool. Wow. Uh, now, here's the problem. Uh, the district judge uh, had refused to stay his preliminary injunction pending appeal. So the state up applied to the Ninth Circuit to stay the opinion pending appeal. Okay. And they agreed. Ooh. So it was stayed pending appeal because it was just a preliminary injunction. Okay. But in the meantime, the court got in touch with the district judge and said, did you mean this to be a preliminary injunction or is this really a final injunction on the merits? Because you had a hearing and you had witnesses and all this. And the judge got back to them earlier this year and said, that's final. It's not just preliminary. It's final. Okay. Because the judge concluded that there was some urgency here. Yeah. Uh, and the Ninth Circuit ends its opinion by emphasizing that there was some urgency here and that they hope Idaho is now going to uh, comply with the order. And it made very clear, although they didn't come out and say it, it certainly is implied, and we will not entertain any petitions to stay this order while you petition for on-bank review or cert. Wow. But the point is the state could go to the Supreme Court and ask for a stay. Right. And the Supreme Court has been handing out stays. You know, one of the funniest things, the state made the argument, well, how can we comply with the order? We don't have any qualified people on our staff to perform this operation. Do you believe they made that argument? No. And, and the judge's response was, are you kidding me? Your job is to get someone who's right. qualified to do this. It's constitutionally required. Right. So. It was, it's required to give the service, and you don't have someone on staff who can do it. You find someone. All right. So let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court. We're back. <clears throat> so the first signs of fall are in the air. Students are back at school. There's a pumpkin spice latte. And that means October 8th is approaching, which means we are prepping for the SCOTUS term. And on the second day of argument, we get to uh, hear um, oral argument in what is arguably the biggest case of the term involving Title VII and whether the federal statute protects LGBT employees from discrimination. All eyes, of course, are on Roberts and the Trump appointees to see if we have a fifth vote to apply 
<clears throat> what is really Scalia's framework of statutory interpretation when it comes to congressional intent and text. We have a report on briefing right now with some general updates as we get closer to oral argument. What do you want to tell us about okay. where we stand? Art? Just to remind people about the rather peculiar way this is playing out. Uh, we have a decision from the 11th Circuit, Bostick versus Clayton County, uh, where the 11th Circuit, relying on its old precedents, uh, affirmed the dismissal of a Title VII claim by a gay man who was fired from a position with the county. And uh, they denied review on bank, and a cert petition was filed by the plaintiff. Then we have Altitude Express versus Zarda. That's Donald Zarda, the gay skydiving instructor who was dismissed after he came out to a customer who, whose boyfriend complained to the boss. If he get, mm -hmm. Zarda gets fired. Uh, and he was claiming also sexual orientation discrimination under Title VII. He lost his Title VII uh, claim in the district court on a pretrial motion uh, because the precedent in the Second Circuit was, and this, this was out in the Eastern District of New York, uh, the, the precedent in the Second Circuit was that sexual orientation is not covered by Title VII. Mm -hmm. uh, went to a three-judge panel, which affirmed, but with a concurring opinion by the chief judge, uh, or was that in the Christensen case? In any event, there were two cases that were going through about simultaneously on this. Right. And uh, there was an indication by the chief judge of uh, the circuit that it's time to reconsider this issue because the Seventh Circuit in the Hively case had, for the first time at the Court of Appeals level, said that sexual orientation is covered under Title VII. Right. The only reason that case didn't go up is because the employer decided they would defend on the grounds that it is covered and that they didn't discriminate based on sexual orientation. Facts, yeah. And I think that case finally settled. Okay. Uh, but uh, in this case, it went on bank, and by an overwhelming vote, the on-bank Second Circuit reversed their prior precedents and said that sexual orientation is a subset of sex. Mm -hmm. And so Title VII, which prohibits employment discrimination because of sex, uh, also covers sexual orientation claims. So win right, out so, of the Second Circuit, right. loss for sexual orientation out of the Eleventh Circuit. circuit. The, uh, the employer here uh, filed a cert petition. Okay. And the cert petition was granted. The cert petition in Bostock was granted. But these were granted after being put over from week to week to week by the court from its conferences. They deliberated on whether to grant these cert petitions for almost the entire last term. They weren't granted until the spring, and they had been filed over the preceding spring. Mm -hmm. It was like almost a year. Yeah. And in the meantime, we had the Harris Funeral Homes case, okay. which was the gender identity case. Uh, that involved Amy Stevens, who was a funeral director at Harris Funeral Homes, and uh, basically came out to her boss in a letter as transgender. He said, this won't work out. Yep. I can't have this. And he uh, claimed he had religious Delicious. objections, but he also said it would be disturbing <clears throat> to customers uh, to see what he basically considered to be a funeral director in drag. I mean, that's his view. Mm -hmm. His religious view is that God decides your sex when uh, the sperm meets the egg. Right. This is often is the defense that This is the position. Forward. Right. So uh, went to federal district court, but this time <coughs> the individual was not the plaintiff. The EEOC was the plaintiff. She filed with the EEOC. The EEOC, a few years before the events in this case, had issued its Macy decision holding that gender identity is covered under Title VII, mm -hmm. reversing half a century of precedent. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the EEOC decided to make this one of their example cases, and they filed suit on behalf of Amy Stevens, 
uh, but with the government as the plaintiff. And Stevens wasn't even a party at the trial level. Mm -hmm. uh, so the EEOC pushed forward. Uh, the federal district judge said uh, gender identity is not covered per se under Title VII, but under a sex stereotyping theory, I could consider this as a sex discrimination case. And it went forward on that basis. Uh, and the, the federal district judge concluded that this was a violation of Title VII, but under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, mm. the owner of the funeral home had a right uh, not to comply because of his bona fide, genuine religious beliefs. Uh, because in the Sixth Circuit, uh, the case law suggested that if the EEOC is the plaintiff, that's the government discriminating uh, against the religious believer. Mm -hmm. uh, so RIFRA becomes relevant. Uh, if Amy Stevens had filed as the plaintiff, RIFRA would not have been relevant and she would have won before the district court. Mm. So the EEOC appeals and Stevens intervenes as a co-appellant. Thank God, because there has to be someone to defend the EEOC's victory. Mm -hmm. And this is the weird twist in the case. So uh, the Third Circuit panel said the district judge was wrong to say that... Three-judge panel, three judge of, the panel Sixth of the Sixth Circuit. Yes. Three-judge panel, that the judge was wrong to say that gender identity is not covered because we have some prior Sixth Circuit case law that recognize complaints by transgender plaintiffs on grounds of the sex stereotyping theory. Yeah. And now we're going to take a step further and say, you don't even have to rely on that theory. We just recognize this as a form of sex discrimination. Yep. And furthermore, we don't think RIFRA is relevant here because we don't think it puts a significant burden on the owner of the funeral home's free exercise of religion to require him to employ a transgender uh, funeral director. Yeah, so it's a great ruling. So it's a great ruling. And uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom, of course, is defending the funeral home. Mm -hmm. So they filed a cert petition. And at the time they filed the cert petition, the EEOC continued to believe, and as far as we know, still continues to believe, because we haven't had a contrary ruling yet since Trump started putting commissioners on there, uh, that gender identity is covered. But in the interim, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, back in October of 2017, issued a memorandum saying the position of the Justice Department now is that gender identity and sexual orientation are not covered mm -hmm. under Title VII or under any sex discrimination laws that the federal government has. Uh, and so the Solicitor General represents the government when a federal agency is before the U.S. Supreme Court. So the Solicitor General informed the court that we are asking you to reverse the Sixth Circuit's decision, even though we, being the EOC, won yeah. this case. So it's very good that the uh, that the ACLU intervened for Amy Stevens because they are now the chief defender of the Sixth Circuit's decision before the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court had to figure out, when they granted cert in all these cases, mm -hmm. how are we going to handle the briefing? It's really weird. Usually the petitioner files their main brief, yeah. and the amici who want to support the petitioner file their briefs, and then the second round of briefing is the respondent files their brief, uh -huh. and the amici in support of the respondent, and then there's a, a third round for reply briefs of any, and the date for that is September 16th, the deadline for reply briefs. Uh -huh. uh, but we don't think that's th that doesn't make sense here. So what we're going to do is we're going to treat the employees in these cases as the petitioners. 
even though they won, even though they won two out of three. Yeah. And we're going to treat the employers as respondents, even though they're really the petitioners in two out of the three cases. Yeah. And the government, well, it's up to the Solicitor General what he's going to do, when he's going to file his brief, depending who he's supporting. <laughs> you know, so as, really as, interesting, we, yeah. as we recounted in the last podcast when we were discussing the uh, summer, fi- the July filings, yeah. uh, the uh, Solicitor General filed uh, the principal brief on behalf of uh, the EEOC, but taking the position that the Sixth Circuit should be reversed. Okay. You know, but, uh, and actually, no, that was filed in August because uh, they're being treated as if they are respondents, even though they're supporting the petitioner. Okay. And the petitioner also filed their uh, principal brief in the Harris Funeral Homes case in August because they're being treated by the court as a respondent. Got it. So we just yeah. got those so, in so, August. So, yeah, what we got in August were the briefs on behalf of the employers. Yeah. And they made the arguments you would expect because they made the same arguments that uh, they made in the lower courts. I mean, the, the, the main argument is, and this is the argument that they're making around the country in all these cases, is that the meaning of the statute should be the meaning that people would generally apply to it at the time it was enacted. Uh, they call it the original public meaning. <laughs> they're not referring to legislative history. Uh, they say they're referring to what the words would have meant to the general public and, of course, to the legislators who were voting on the legislation at the time. Uh, And they claim in their briefs that the public meaning of sex has always been the meaning of sex that the Supreme Court has embraced in all of its Title VII case law about sex. You know, one of the main arguments uh, that uh, our side to try to, you know, these labels of petition and respondent aren't working now. Right. But the the side that says Title VII does cover these claims, we're saying that the meaning of the language over time may take on new meanings, that uh, courts may interpret statutes to make them relevant, to keep right. them up to date, to reflect new understandings of the underlying facts. Uh, and they are arguing that what we're asking the court to do is to amend the statute, basically, which the court doesn't have the authority to do. They have the authority to interpret it. They don't have the authority to amend it. But you look back on the history of how sex has been treated under Title VII, and you'll see that the court has embraced interpretations over time. That have evolved. Well, far beyond what Congress in 64 might have thought, especially when you consider that the bill that was proposed on the floor of the House and that went through committee didn't include sex. Mm-hmm. It was added as an amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was very little legislative history about it. There was very little discussion about what it would mean. And so it's really been up to the EEOC and the courts to develop the meaning of sex, just as they've had to develop the meaning of national origin or race. Yeah. You know, hmm. uh, And uh, so... This is basically a battle between dynamic statutory interpretation and static statutory interpretation. Right. You know, which looks back and says statutes are frozen in time. Um, so two things. Number one, what happened to the RIFRA claim? The RIFRA claim was not uh, in the petition for cert. So okay. it disappeared from the case. And well, that's I good. think that means the Supreme Court's not going to th- consider it. Yeah, I would One hope hopes. if we haven't One briefed hopes. it, we're not doing that. Yeah, but another thing, in terms of the amicus briefs, yeah. mean, we did the rundown on the amicus briefs last time right. on the uh, pro-employee side. Now it's the pro-employer side. 
It's uh, anyone who uh, looked at the list of amicus briefs in Obergefell will say, ah, I see all the usual suspects. Yeah. They're all lined up. We've got briefs from state attorney generals, uh, basically states that don't ban this discrimination. And they say, don't force this on us. We have briefs from employers who don't want to have to employ. And I'm guessing they're not Fortune 500 companies. Generally not. Yeah. Generally not. They're not the, the big prestigious employers right. who signed on who to that go huge on the other brief, side. amicus right. brief on the other side. We've got scholars on this side. We've got religious folks on this side. And on the gender identity case, we've got feminists. We have some feminist organizations who uh, strenuously object to the idea that transgender women are women. Yeah, that brief was disgusting. They even misgender the plaintiff here. I, yeah. I guess she's the petitioner now, or yeah. Well, she's the she's <laughs> the winner, the but she's, yeah, okay. she's the co-respondent. Amy Stevens. Very confusing, but at any but, rate, they misgendered. And, and in fact, uh, Vox.com did a very interesting article, which sort of laid out the history of this tension between the feminist movement and the transgender rights movement. It goes back quite a ways. Yeah. Uh, so they're they're siding with the funeral home here too. Yeah. And this is a fringe it's not all feminist, right. it's a fringe group. Right. Um, okay, and what about tea leaves? Do we know I mean we're talking about statutory interpretation. We should have some clues about what Roberts thinks about this, maybe writings that Kavanaugh has about well, how he thinks find, about this. I find Roberts unpredictable now okay. on politically fraught cases. I think uh, I think the political fraughtness of the cases is entering into his calculus. Uh, I look at his his opinion on the census uh, question issue, which yeah. struck me as a very political opinion. Uh, and there it was, you know, that the, this is a president who continuously insults the courts and everything, and Roberts is standing up on, you know, we are principled. We don't bow to the president. But, right, but they're also but they deeply are. conservative. Yes, and they are bowing to the president on altogether too many of he, these emergency petitions for stays and That's things true, like that. That's true, yeah. But so, you know, I think if we can get Roberts, we can win this. All right. Well, we have to take a break because we have one more big case to talk about. So uh, let's, let's wrap and come back into the Eighth Circuit. Okay, we're back. On August 23rd, a three-judge panel of the U.S. uh, Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit ruled by a two-to-one vote that the First Amendment protected a commercial videographer's right to refuse to make wedding videos for same-sex couples. This ruling would blow a hole in the Minnesota Human Rights Act and others like it in the circuit, which expressly forbid public accommodations from discriminating because of a a customer's sexual orientation. Judge Jane Kelly, one of the few Obama appointees on the court, said in a dissent, nothing stops a business owner from using today's decision to justify new forms of discrimination tomorrow. Art, tell us about this uh, Eighth Circuit ruling that's not too good. First, first I have to clarify something you just said. Uh Uh-oh. Jane Kelly is the only Democratic appointee on the Eighth Circuit. You know, I went. Uh, Are you kidding well, me? Well, for people who want to look this up, I know, said the only Obama appointee, but uh, only Democratic appointee. Good so Lord! What 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 happens here? Uh, and this is one of the uh, great things on Wikipedia. Someone is doing a great job on Wikipedia on staying up to date on these things. On for every Circuit Court of Appeals Wikipedia entry, there is a table yeah. showing all the judges who have ever served on that court, mm-hmm. who appointed them when they served, whether they're serving now as active or senior, et cetera. And that's important to know because uh, for on-bank 
The seniors don't sit unless they were on the panel. Hmm. But uh, that court is made up entirely of Republican appointees except for Judge Kelly. Good it's all the Clinton people, because Clinton put people on. All of them are retired. Yeah. Remember, Clinton left office in January 2001. That's almost two decades ago. Right. And most federal judges are appointed are middle-aged people. It's not, you know, Trump is loading up the courts with 35-year-olds. But, you know, most, most federal judges are in their 30s, their 40s or 50s, and for court of appeals, even a little older. So after 20 years, a lot of them are gone. There is one judge on that court who was appointed by George H.W. Bush, who's still there. He's like in his 80s. Good Lord. And then there are a whole bunch of judges who were put on by George W. Bush. Yeah. Obama never got an appointment except for Kelly. That's bizarre. And she just sort of Well, what's interesting was, was she was actually put forward by Grassley because yeah. it's fr- she's from Iowa. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's, a, she's a, def- a, a public defender, I believe, yeah. is her background. So she's, she's the token liberal on wow. the Eighth Circuit. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, and, then, and then the rest of them, Trump has like four judges already on the Eighth Circuit. So, uh, and one of Trump's judges wrote this case, okay. David Strauss. Oh, very we hate con- controversial Strauss. when he was nominated. He's a yeah. uh, right wing zealot, uh, anti uh, LGBT background. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. We know okay. this. So this is called Telescope Media Group versus Lucero. Okay. All right. Telescope Media Group is a commercial videographer that makes commercials and training films and stuff. The, the films for hire. They are not a studio that makes films for commercial release in theaters and stuff like that. Uh, so, and it's unclear to me, but I've speculated about whether they were approached by ADF with the idea of trying to create a precedent here or whether they actually genuinely wanted to get into wedding videos. Okay. But the claim in their complaint in the federal district court was that they wanted to get into doing wedding videos. And they were concerned because Minnesota, where they're located, banned sexual orientation discrimination in its uh, civil rights law. So they said, we were, we were concerned that if we made wedding videos, we would have to make same-sex marriage videos, and we have religious objections to same-sex marriage. We don't want to be involved. And in fact, we plan to get into this business to promote heterosexual marriage. That's part of our goal. Uh, we want to make videos that will show the wonders and the glories of heterosexual <laughs> love. It's a, no, really, it's, it's amazing yes, I, to read this. I believe you. And, I'm and just laughing. Said, <laughs> and we plan to put them on our website. And in Oof. fact, it turns out that there's a big audience out there for wedding videos. Oh, yeah. You I know, love watching people People love watching wedding people videos. I, I mean, they're know. joyous celebrations. I don't even like watching weddings of people I... Yeah. I shouldn't say well, that often. But that you, you don't My like going to the real ones. After yeah. me. But, but the point is, <laughs> they like say... drink at weddings. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, the video, yeah. So <laughs> so they say, well, this, is, this is expressive speech. This yeah. is expressive content. Making a video is... Uh, is it's uh, calls on artistic judgment, and we have to. It's not like we're selecting the cast. The cast is coming to us. It's the wedding party. Right. But you know, we're telling them how to pose and how to move. And yeah. We're probably going to put a, a, an underlay of music on there, and there might be subtitles. The point right. is, they say this is expressive activity, just like Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I said, this is the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the district judge laughed him out of court. They dismissed the thing, and it went up to the Eighth Circuit. And Judge Strauss says, yeah, yeah, this is First Amendment. This is like uh, strict scrutiny. This is, you know, this, the state has to have a compelling interest to force them 
to speak a message they don't want to speak, which is celebrating same-sex marriages. Uh, so that's the majority here. The other member of the majority was Circuit Judge Bobby Shepard, an appointee of George W. Bush. I don't know him. And Judge Kelly says, hold your horses here. Long dissent. Dissent is longer than the majority opinion. Mm. She says, uh, this, is, this is speech for hire. That's what this is. You know, when someone hires you to make a film for them, it's to make the film for them. It's not your speech. Right. It's the customer's speech. Right. It's the same argument we're making with the wedding cakes and all this. You know, it, this isn't the baker speaking. This is the baker baking a cake on commission. Right. You like, know? we didn't, you know, we didn't like this part of your ceremony, so we yeah. took it out. Yeah. You're like... <laughs> well, and, and to me, the analogy here is to the New Mexico wedding photographer case, which was the first of these major cases. And they didn't even have marriage equality in New Mexico yet. This was a lesbian couple who wanted a photo album for their commitment ceremony. And they went to a photographer who said no when she found out it was two women. And they filed the complaint with the New Mexico human rights people. And they won at the agency. They won in court. They won at the New Mexico Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court denied cert. And one of the claims the photographer made was, uh, my photography is a protected First Amendment activity. Uh, that it, it's uh, an expressive activity. I pose the things. And, right. You know, I set up. And the when photos. you say they won, you mean yes. the same-sex couple? The same-sex couple right. won, and the agency won, really, because right. the agency went to bat for them. Right. Uh, so in this case, it's going to go back to the district court, and uh, oh, this is this is not based on any record at all. This is because the district judge dismissed. And so there hasn't been a trial here. It's going to go back to the district court, and, and they were appealing. Uh, ADF was appealing the denial of a preliminary injunction, actually. Yeah, so it didn't even get to the point of dismissal. It was a, it's an interlocutory appeal. So it goes back, and the majority in the Eighth Circuit panel says the first job for the district judge is to decide whether they're entitled to a preliminary injunction now that we've said that they've stated a viable claim under the First Amendment. Yeah. And that the standard of review is strict scrutiny Good Lord. because it's expressive. Well, uh, this is pretty foregone conclusion here. Yeah, I think, uh, well, you know, if it goes on bank, I think it's just going to affirm this opinion. Like you were saying, the Eighth Circuit uh, is so, so this is really setting it up. This is the ADF trying to get one of these things to the Supreme Court. And as far as the Supreme Court goes, uh, this is a an early September development, which will be covered in the October issue of Law Notes. But Arlene's Flowers is back petitioning the Supreme Court, uh, and uh, they're arguing that the Washington Supreme Court on remand screwed the whole thing up, right? And uh, that the Supreme Court has to get involved. Yeah. Once again, you're looking for. You know, a case where you've got a clean record, nothing messy right. in the background, like, you know, a, a, an errant comment about religion or something like that. And something where maybe it's a little bit more of a harder case than cake. Yeah. But this is difficult also because I don't see where there's really, I mean, the, the court saw standing on the hypothetical situation that they expand into wedding videos and a same-sex couple comes along and right. they... They turn them down and say, you have to go to someone else. And the couple decides to file a charge against right. them. Right. Why didn't ADF wait for a plaintiff like that? Right. But I, don't, I also but don't see the Supreme but, Court going, oh, yeah, you don't have standing, yeah, ADF. But, but, they but, the eighth, but the Eighth Circuit decided that they had standing because they said it wasn't totally hypothetical because they said that the agency, in response to this lawsuit, said, yes, 
if there is discrimination, we will follow up. Mm-hmm. You know, we think this would violate our statute. Yeah. Uh, and the Minnesota Human Rights Law has been challenged in the past. Yeah. Uh, there was I a case. There was a case involving a gym owner who didn't want to ha- have gays as as customers, and. Uh, that was decided by the state courts uh, in favor of the customers and the human rights agency, and the Supreme Court denied cert in that case. That's like ancient history now. Yeah, I was going to say, how long ago was that? Uh, that was decades ago. <laughs> you know, but uh, Now you know, all the customers at gyms are gays. <laughs> well, not at their gyms. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I doubt it. Um, okay, anything else on this case that you no, want to hit? No, I I'll, think we can take our little break and let's then go t- to Of Note. No, let's just go right into it. Are you ready? Sure, we can go right into Of Note. And this is... Uh, this is a surprise to me. I have no idea. You said you wanted a yes. happy case. This better be happy. Do you remember Gavin Grimm? Of course. The wonderful Gavin Grimm. That just went on and on and on to the point where it passed over from Obama administration time to Trump administration time. Right. It was supposed to be argued in the Supreme Court, but, but only on the question whether the Fourth Circuit had correctly uh, deferred to the Obama administration's interpretation right. of Title IX yeah. uh, and instructed the district court that they had to uh, entertain the case on the merits. Of yeah, the it was a, fan, a case a mostly about agency deference. Right, and, so that, <laughs> and the Supreme Court granted review on that and yeah. a scheduled argument. It was supposed to take place in March 2017. Right. But, you know, uh, Trump took office in January and he appointed a new attorney general and he appointed a new secretary of education, neither of whom are very happy about gay rights or yeah. transgender and, rights. And a new uh, justice yeah. who hates uh, oh, well, that agency. Hadn't happened yet. Right, that's true. Although that was in process. Right. But uh, We knew it was coming. But what happened was uh, the <clears throat> Solicitor General notified the court that they should take the case off the hearing schedule because the new administration was withdrawing the Obama administration's interpretation of Title IX, and so there was nothing to defer to anymore. So the Fourth Circuit's opinion should be vacated right. and the case sent back. And the Fourth Circuit then sent the case back to the trial judge. Uh, and uh, the trial judge had issued a preliminary injunction in the case, which had been stayed. Uh, and meanwhile, Gavin Grimm graduated from Gloucester County High School <laughs> just months later. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, the school district moved to dismiss as moot. They said, it's not moot. I've got a damage claim. Mm-hmm. And I, I was seeking a declaratory judgment. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, and this is a further complication in the case, they refused to issue a transcript showing his new name mm. and showing him his mail. Okay. So he's yeah. going to go around with a high school transcript that doesn't right. match his identity. Wow. You know, okay. that's a real problem. That's, yeah. So they, uh, the judge allowed him, and a new judge was assigned okay. since the previous judge retired. And the new judge Jeez. is the first African-American woman to serve in the district court there in the wow. Eastern District of Virginia. And she loves this case. This is the judge who declared Virginia's ban on same-sex marriage unconstitutional. No kidding. Yeah. You know, so it comes before this judge. Isn't that great? Uh, Obama appointed some really good judges. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she had a hearing on it, and she has granted Gavin Grimm's motion for summary judgment on August 9th. Great. Uh, she awarded him $1 in damages. Good. Because he wasn't really interested in the damages. But she declared him the prevailing party, got an injunction, and he's going to get attorney's fees. And you know how long this case was pending? <laughs> These attorney fee, hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah. I think, are going to be assessed against the Gloucester County School District and attorney's fees. There were so many novel questions in this right. case, which means that the kilo, keystone, whatever it is, uh, 
measure of the hourly rate is going to be high and the number of hours is going to be high. And they're going to be battling over attorney's fees for quite a while. Jeez. All right. Well, the ACLU is going to get another windfall yeah. then. Yeah. More to fight the Trump administration. Well, that's fantastic. So and I wanted to go out on a high here. Yeah, now, that's of course, wonderful. They've indicated they're going to appeal this to the Fourth Circuit. So yeah, let's see what happens. Okay, I doubt it. Well, the problem is they appeal it to the Fourth Circuit, and the Fourth Circuit doesn't decide it until the Supreme Court decides Harris Funeral Home. Uh-huh. Then the Supreme Court slams this at Harris Funeral Home, which is possible. And all of a sudden, the doctrinal basis for this Title IX case disappears because gender identity is not covered under Title IX. Now, Harris is a Title VII case. The courts generally follow Title VII precedents under Title IX. Think of all the the ramifications of what's going to happen. If we lose Harris Funeral Home, there's an awful lot of pending cases that are going to be... Do you think Roberts is going to think about that? I don't know. I don't know how much he's concerned about that. Uh, and these Title VII cases, this is coming out right in the middle of a presidential election. You know, if, if the court issues its opinion, they're, they're having arguments in October. Theoretically, they could have an opinion by Christmas, although I doubt, doubt it, it. No if way. the court's very divided. But sometime in the spring, which means it be right in the middle of the presidential primaries, and it's going to become a big issue because all of a sudden the Equality Act looms large. Uh, in terms of importance. I mean, if we get coverage under sex discrimination under existing statutes, we only need the Equality Act for public accommodations because the Civil Rights Act doesn't include sex on the list for public accommodations. But other than that, the Equality Act wouldn't really be necessary if we win these cases on a broad reading by the court that sex includes sexual orientation and gender identity and if in we, general. And if we retain the House, win a majority in the Senate, have yeah. a Democratic president... Then the Equality Act will go through. It, it, it would yeah. be high on the list yeah. to, to pass, though. Would it be the first opportunity to have to test whether we get right. rid of the filibuster or not? Well, our, our parting words to our listeners today are... Vote often and early (laughs) in November 2020. Oh, my God. All right. Well, that'll do it for for this episode. Please thank you. Well, please continue to tune in. We love having you listen. Please follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. And we'll be back in, what month is it? September. It will be back in October with... Oh, if we're late enough, we'll be able to talk about the argument. The argument. Maybe we should. We'll be back October 9th. Well, maybe. <laughs> we'll see how long it <laughs> takes. Otherwise, to do people the are going to be like, we're going to have to do a special episode. Yes, we'll, we'll need a special episode. Oh, okay, okay. So maybe we'll, we'll touch I'm, I'm base always, with you a I'm lot in October. We remind people about the argument. The Supreme Court does not live stream their oral arguments. What they do is Same. they publish a transcript later that day. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness they've abandoned their old. Uh, practice of just having QA, QA. They now name the judges who are answering, asking the questions. Don't see a lot of Thomas. Yeah, you don't know Thomas. You don't, <laughs> maybe under his breath and it says in, in, inaudible. Or something. <laughs> but, uh, so you can read a transcript on October 8th, that afternoon of the oral arguments, and then later in the week, usually Thursday or Friday, they post a link to their audio recording. Yeah. So you can actually listen yeah. and follow along in the transcript. So if something's in an audible, maybe they fixed it up in the transcript. Jeez. There are some days where I get this podcast up in exactly the same day. The Supreme Court can't manage to release same-day audio, I think. I think they want to go through and bleep out, like, <laughs> some... Our tax dollars things. at work, folks. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in October.